to honor Allen Iverson, who questioned practice, not the game. We're talking about practice. We're not uh, talking about a game. We're talking nope. about practice. Hey there, and welcome to Grit, True Stories That Matter. Grit is a weekly podcast about stories, the contemporary personal narrative kind of story, and the people that craft and tell them. Why, you ask? Well, we want to feature these tellers and their stories, and also to help you, our listeners, craft and tell better, more engaging, more relatable, and more memorable stories. True stories. Personal stories. Grit stories. We are in season three dedicated to the best of and grit talks, and today we are talking about practice. You will hear a conversation with several storytellers who are very involved in the world of storytelling, telling stories, producing shows, teaching, and so on. So I hope you get something out of that. As you listen, see what you can apply to your craft, whatever that might look like. And hey, I hope it helps. That's what we're doing. That's why we're here. That is what we are all about. If you'd like to help us out, help the podcast out, keep doing what you're doing, listen, let folks know about it, share it on social media. If you listen on Apple, rating and reviewing also helps people find it. I'm not sure exactly how that algorithm works, but apparently that is a thing. And check the show notes for upcoming events, including the 99-second story slam. It is a lot of fun. Whether you want to tell a story or watch, it's a lot of fun. I hope you can join us. Okay. Practice. Let's dive in. There are nine other people here. I know seven of them quite well. Two of them are newer. All of them either interested in storytelling uh, or actually actively involved in it, uh, producing, teaching, telling, and so on. So the question I have, uh, so that our listeners can hear from you and perhaps learn some things and maybe use them to improve their craft, is how you go about practicing, whether that is for a presentation or a story slam or whatever it may be. Maybe you're practicing to uh, impress your friends or a girl or a guy on a date. Doesn't matter. How do you practice story stuff? Let us start with Richard Munchkin in Las Vegas. So my process is I usually get my ideas when I'm laying in bed trying to go to sleep, uh, or sometimes it'll be in the shower, and sometimes it's driving. But my first step is to just tell the story to myself in my head. I I may do that uh, a couple of times, but then when I'm ready to present the story, in Swap Shop, I will then just go in and tell the story. And then I'll get feedback. But then when I'm actually ready to tell the story at an event, usually they have a specific time in mind. So I sit at my computer, I start a stopwatch, and then I just tell the story to myself in front of that stopwatch to see how long it is. And I may do that several times until I get it to the length that it's supposed to be. It should should be noted, though, Richard is in probably not the majority of the people who rarely if ever writes anything down some people have brains like that i am definitely not one of those people and your reference to swap shop some people might be wondering is a group that meets that's the group here right now friday afternoons and if you're hearing this you can come just message me you can come Uh, it's free 
And uh, this is what we do. We, we, we swap stories and give feedback. So that's that reference. Mary Jo Pollock in Tucson, Arizona, would like to share how she practices. Thanks to Richard Munchkin, who said, I just record my stories and listen back to them on my phone. I thought, oh, you know, that's a good idea because I spend a lot of time writing. And then I, w- I would do a shorthand because my stories that I tell are two personal stories. So I know them. I know them really well. So I'd write out, you know, a whole bunch of stuff. And then I just write like three words that might really be two paragraphs because I don't want to write out everything. So the idea of recording my story really appealed to me since they're my stories and I know them very well. And then when I listen back, I can hear how somebody else is going to hear my story. It's a little slanted, but I have a better idea. And sometimes I listen and I go, that was fucking boring. So I know where to cut out and maybe that didn't make sense. So I know, you know, it really helps me. And and I'll take notes on what I hear myself do, on what to eliminate or what to explain further. And like today, what I did, because I'm working on this story, yesterday I recorded it like five or six times. And then when I went to work out, I brought my earplugs and I just sat there on the bike listening to my story over and over and over again. And then I'll practice. And when I have it down to where I want it, I will practice and it gets closer to the deadline. So I might practice like three or four times a day. And then as it gets closer to the deadline, I go, you have to practice like twice in an hour for the next three hours. Now I know. I heard 50 times you have to practice. I don't know that I do that. I may have on some stories done that many. I'm sure I do at least 30. Practice the story, record it. Sometimes in front of a mirror, usually not. Record, listen, record, listen, record, listen. A couple of takeaways I want to point out and then we'll move on to other thoughts, other people's processes or practices. Even though it is your story, you're still crafting something from your experiences. So that takes some work. I want to point out the importance of feedback. This is not some nefarious way of getting you into my world of feedback groups, but it makes a difference typically. And you're right, Mary Jo. I don't, 50 is a rather arbitrary number I suggested to somebody. But the idea that if you do it enough times, when you start, when you present it, whatever your stage is, man, it's going to get a whole lot easier. There might be some exceptions out there. Some people like to keep it fresh. They know their beats and they're good. But some people will say, if I overpractice, right, it becomes, it feels too uh, stale or, re- or rehearsed and it won't. For me, that's never the case. It is just not true for me, but I, I feel like I get better. But Tracy's got her hand up. So I want to hear for some people that's very much different. So Tracy, is that how you are? I don't try and memorize it word for word. I just try and memorize the beats because I I find it does sound very rehearsed if I do it like that. And that, that came to me over time when I first, when I first started out, I did memorize word for word and that worked fine. It's not like anybody ever said to me, your stories sound rehearsed, but as I got more confident as a storyteller and I realized these are things that happened to me. Uh, I just need to remember the, the beats. I know how to tell the stories. Sometimes a, a 
a story comes to me just while I'm doing something, but sometimes I go looking for it based on a, a pitch call. So people will ask for something, you know, a holiday story or a family story or a bad job story. And I go, you know, searching my recollection for something that fits. And then I try and put together the story and I, I will try to move things around and try things in different ways to see what fits best. And then I go over it in my head a number of times. And then I will say it out loud a, a bunch of times. And then I, like Richard said, I sit with the, with a clock on it to make sure it fits in time. And I do it a bunch of times because, you know, it, it compresses in time, the better, you know, it, but mm. I also do try not to memorize it so that it, uh, it doesn't sound rehearsed so that each word, each beat is not memorized. Just the basic uh, ideas of it are in order. It used to mean a lot to me and it's starting to, again, to do it at a live open mic to see, because what I think is important in a story is not necessarily what people are going to react to. Right. And then I listen to what people react to and I, I uh, might adjust the story based on what, how people react to it. Quick grit tip. That's an official trademark thing. Apparently now grit tip. Uh, if you're going to go to a, an event and especially if it's a competitive event, and you've timed yourself at home several times, and it's at six minutes, and that's the maximum amount you have. That's not oh, good. No, you got to give yourself time. Yeah. yeah, and I actually foolishly made this mistake recently, where I was like, "Oh yeah," I was like, "I'm around six. I'm good." I totally forgot to take into account. In this particular case, I got some laughs, and guess what? I went over. Mary Jo pointed out that if you are hearing your own story back and you are bored by it, I promise you, we will be bored by it but that that's good awareness though right and that also comes with time the awareness that ah this might not this might not land this might not work uh nishama franklin in uh the the, the great state of california well i've always done it differently <laughs> that's I'm, I'm proud of my difference you should know that i'm very old and i'm mostly <laughs> i really i'm going to turn 83 um next thursday I can't believe that's actually happening. But um, I have a rather large repertoire of stories and my life is very tranquil now. So it's not producing a lot of new story material. And I've raked my history over and over. So uh, when I have a story that I am presenting, I have to kind of haul it up out of memory. You should know that I don't go back to listen to the performances that I did. I want to see what's fresh inside me. So uh, I do start to tell it to myself aloud. I have, I often have done this on the trail, hiking, looking at a watch, or I do it in the car because the, the, you know, I can see how much time has elapsed. And I'm always surprised when I'm telling a story in my car, I realize I'm not on the road anymore. It's lucky that I get back and forth because it really takes me to another place. Now, I do not believe, I don't write anything down. I, I love the oral stream. I don't do memorization. I don't want it to be canned. But I have gotten, you could say, very basic coaching from various people and places I've performed with. They want to know, for reasons of lighting and production, your first line and your last line. It never hurts to commit those close to memory. You know, it doesn't have to be the exact same words. 
you know, and I and I don't uh, do it over and over and over again because I don't want it to get stale. And I'm often surprised what comes out in performance that wasn't, you know, it's just a little twist, but it makes it more interesting to me. It's a kind of, I trust the terrain, but the weather might be different. It's fun to do this kind of discovery. And most of the time, I, I'm, I, I go short because of the uh, impetus of production. You know, when it's happening, I'm just roaring ahead. The knock on wood, that's, that's, mm. the, way, that's the way it works for me. But uh, saying it and saying it, getting the rhythms down, you know, it's like you're telling yourself a bedside story, but it's not going to put you to sleep. Mm. But it's wonderful, familiar material that you want to share out there, fresh to everyone else. So there are more people than I thought that don't write it down, which is interesting to me. Uh, but all of you, it seem have in common, there is some level of practice. And this wasn't a setup. Everyone's practicing to a different degree. I think I'm on the, probably on the extreme side of practice in terms of just doing it over and over again. And Nishama and maybe a couple others are a little bit like, keep it fresh. I don't trust myself enough. And I think I have problems with words and I don't trust myself, particularly in a public performance to always find the words. And so I compensate and maybe overcompensate a little bit there. And that is the only place in my life I overcompensate, if you're wondering. Andrew Shelfo in Massachusetts. I tend to be like you, Sean, in terms of practicing a lot. And I do that, I think, because like many people who are just starting out with storytelling, I think one of the biggest fears is being up there on stage and kind of forgetting what's going to come next. Mm. So for me, practicing helps with that. I also find it useful to practice in front of a mirror because there's an audience here and I, I want to see what I look like when I'm telling this particular story. And it also allows me to, once I tend to write everything down and once I get to the point where I, I don't need to be on book anymore, then I can play around with pacing and gestures and, and things like that, which is, which is important. And it's interesting in, in listening to what people have said already, because we haven't acknowledged the fact that right now we're on Zoom. And have we talked about how to practice specifically for storytelling events on Zoom, which are going to be very different from storytelling events that are going to be delivered in person? Yeah. Um, and I don't know how much longer that, that's going to last, but that, that's something else uh, to consider. Mm. So for me, it's always been like, I don't want to have that moment where I'm just on stage and I don't know what to say next. And then mm -hmm. to kind of expand it out very much to take a, a, a very full 50,000 foot view on this. It is practicing to tell a story, but I think it's also building a practice within yourself for all the aspects of storytelling, like knowing, hey, that might be something that I could use as a story someday, uh, mining your own experience to say, yeah, that's something I might be able to tell a story about. That's something I might not be able to tell a story about. Um, and then also putting together a good network of people that you can rely on. Some people like to tell their stories to their significant other. If they're a good uh, sounding board, that that's great. Or having small groups of people who will give you honest and useful feedback, because that's a whole other part of practice as well. For sure. Finding the community. Yeah. Good points. I, interesting points about virtual Zoom and or other virtual events versus in-person events. Uh, one other thought as you were sharing that, and you mentioned the mirror popped into my head, which was one thing I do, I will practice it in different places and sometimes doing different things. So sometimes I'll take a microphone or stand in my living room 
and try to make believe I'm on the stage, but I'll do it in my car. I'll do it on a walk. I'll do it in the pool. I'll do it doing different things. And for me, just doing it in different ways, in different places, it gets it much more clear for me. I don't know why that is. I think there's some science or psychology behind that as to why that works for some people, but it seems to be helpful for me. Yes, Tracy. And by the way, Mass Beth Queens. <laughs> also, sometimes there's a part of a story that is a little bit more difficult for one reason or another. Maybe that part required a little bit more uh, crafting than other parts, or there's more complicated wording in that part. Maybe there's more technical wording in that part. I There are stories that I will practice a part more than the others. Like, I know I have the first half down, but the second half is harder, and I'll just practice that part. If you do your stories, and I think in this group, we often emphasize scenes. You might use a different word, but scenes. Right. I almost imagine shapes. I know I've heard some people imagine colors. You know, it depends on what your thing is visually or otherwise. Beats, in a way. This is scene one. Now, there's more to each scene and how they connect, but that, that creates places in my story where I know I'm going or I know I came from, which helps me sort of organize things in my head. But yeah, for sure, some parts of the story are sometimes trickier. Richard, is that you again? Yes, sir. Yeah, I just wanted to piggyback on what Andrew was saying about um, having a network. And it's for me, it's really important to practice with other people, which is what I appreciate. I'm not trying to blow smoke up your ass, Sean, but what, <laughs> what I really appreciate about this swap is rather than just doing it with one person, one person might understand it or get it or think something is funny. But when you have a group of us, there are 10 of us here today, you're going to find out if there are parts of the story that people aren't getting or that are not connecting with mm -hmm. some of the people. And, and really what you said, Sean, about the laughs, sometimes there are things that I don't think are funny that, that the audience does. And this is a place where you find those things out and vice versa. There are things I think are great. And then the audience is like, Meh. and mm -hmm. it, then, you know, you have to cut it. Really hard when you've done a story, people laugh, and then you do it the next time. So naturally you're like, oh, this is the part where they laugh and they don't laugh. <laughs> the, uh, the thing about groups that I'll say to anybody who's listening, looking for a group or wanting to start a group, I think it's tricky. You're trying to balance something, which is if you have people in your life who are super validating, which we all need, and everything you do is amazing, That'll make you feel good. It may not make your stories much better. You have to balance that with, I think I've run into people who have a lot to share. They're very open and honest, but they're not necessarily saying things that will help the story. They kind of want to make it, I don't know how to frame this. They're judgy. Or maybe more so they want to make it their own. They don't want to bring out your story. So finding a place where you can balance the two, where yes, you're amazing and it needs work. And we want to make it your story and make your story as good as it can be. That was very wordy. Um, are there other thoughts on this? Yes, Carolyn in Mexico who needs to unmute herself, but she knew that. I'm very new at storytelling. So this is all process for me. I write stories out because I'm more literary than I am, you know, um, performance-based. And so when I, when I practice a story, I break it down into scenes or sections and I try to tell what I've written and it's astounding that it won't translate into the telling. You know, what seemed really poetic on the page, it's like, this isn't gonna work. So I find myself out at living when I'm telling, which will, will bring some life into it. And then the death now, there are two like really big signs. One is if I keep forgetting 
like a little paragraph or a whole section when I'm telling it, it usually needs to go. It's not, Mm. you know, like I keep forgetting to put this in and now I'll study it. And it wasn't really that important. That's why Mm. I forget it. The other thing is somebody mentioned being bored by their own recordings. I can tell in my body when I'm trying to tell a story that I've written, like, I don't even want to say the next sentence. Like, I don't want to say the next (laughs) sentence. Like, who would care about this? I don't even want to say it. Um, So those are little practice, just practice things. And then I also, I, I want to memorize every word, not only for the 99 second ones where time really matters, but because if I know the story backwards and forwards, I, I trust that I can almost go automatic. Like I can be completely out, so nervous that I'm not in my body anymore, but my mouth will keep going. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So that's reassuring. And if I'm still in my body and liking my story, then it has more life because I, I've got the words down and I can improvise or, you know, make it a little bit different. So yeah, that makes sense. That says a fairly new storyteller for your podcast here. Right. No, that's good. Carolyn found us not too long ago and she's she dove in, which is great. I joked a little bit about and Mary Jo and what you referenced, uh, Carolyn, about being bored by your story. If you're bored by it, like we'll yeah, probably be right. bored by it. Part of that though, I wanna I wanna not discourage storytellers who often particularly people who are newer to this will say, well, nobody gives a shit about my stories or my life. And I don't think that's the case at all. Yeah, right. I think they're very much respectfully mistaken. But we're talking about a very specific, this particular story, this part of the story, maybe it could be tweaked, or right? Because there's a lot of people I have found, or a good number who, I don't have anything to say. Why would anybody want to listen? I'm not sure what I have to say about that right now, but I think you are not correct. Exactly. There's a huge difference. You know, there is no boring content. But when I hear, when I feel like I'm bored by even saying the next line, that's about style and presentation. And Mm. so something needs to shift. Also should be noted, and I know some people hearing this may never actually go on a stage and do this. They might use story or components of story in other spaces sort of more casual spaces or less performatory. For me, when I know it pretty well, whether that's whatever, however my process is to get there, things slow down a little bit, which is a good thing. Because when you're up there, imagine when you've given a speech, you know it, but you don't know it that well and you're super nervous. It's so fast. Shit's going so fast. Slowing it down, man, you have so much more control. And I think it's very easy for, for us or anyone to forget what the audience is experiencing is not necessarily what's going through your brain or your mind in that moment. You typically have more time. You can slow it down. So the reason I thought about that was if you forget something or a word, yeah, if you freak out, the audience might see you freak out. They don't know that. And you can collect yourself. And I know this is much easier said than done. And they'll probably never even know. They're probably just thinking about the last thing you said. And you have some time. Figure out where you are in your story and move on. The other part of that is I find generally speaking, storytelling audiences are very forgiving. And if you even said, I'm not suggesting you do this. Oh, I forgot where I was. Oh, right. I was talking about when I was on the trip to Hawaii. We're fine with that. Is it not, is it ideal? Maybe not, but it's okay. You know, we don't have to be perfect. Listen to me getting on my high horse over here. Jeez. In the meantime, Corey practice, you've got something to say about practice. No, 
Yeah, I'm I'm more practice oriented than you, Sean. I, I write things out. I draft <laughs> them. I uh, watch myself on video. I pay attention to if I stumble in a place, that's usually telling me that's a spot that needs to be reworked. So I'm I'm paying attention to that. And once I've got it memorized, then I start listening for what my body's telling me to do in it too. Because there's a lot of times when the language that I've memorized can be shortened and tightened up. Mm. So at that point, the story's internalized and we can start to play with it because I know what I'm supposed to do. I know what I can do with it and I know what I can't do. When I watch myself on video, it allows me to give, uh, to have the space to uh, put in facial expressions and pauses and gestures and stuff like that. When it's finally almost ready to go, then I um, chill out for a little bit, don't do it a few times. And then after that, it's like it's it's rough. It's not perfectly polished. You you polish it up and then you let it rough, let it roughen up a little bit. Yeah, actually, I think we're more like than some of the others I've heard. I actually tend to do a fair amount of of that. I, I'm less comfortable being loose about it. I don't know if that's the right word, but Corey, you bring something up that's interesting because when I get that comfortable and I know it, even sometimes down to the word. And I might be wrong about this, but I've gotten feedback on it that I'm natural in that state. And now maybe maybe a, a little bit of theater training, I don't know. Whereas other people, they're more natural when it's not as memorized. For me, I feel much more comfortable when I know it so well, like a monologue in a play. You, you, get to, you learn that thing so well that you can play with it once you're up there. You don't have to think about it. If I don't have it that clear in my head, a lot of that I can't really do because I'm kind of thinking about what do I have to say? What am I saying here? Where am I going? What am I saying? Exactly. It's the opportunity. Once I know it that well, I can take all kinds of risks. So if something happened in the lobby, if, if, I, if I'm hearing another storyteller and there's something in another story that I can use to create a callback, I'm in the moment and above the moment simultaneously. So I can grab that callback, insert it someplace, pick back up right after that. And and go from there. In it and above it. Woo! Simultaneously. As always, thanks so much for listening and all of your support. And special thanks to The Swap Shop, some of whom joined me here on this podcast to share their ideas, their thoughts about process and practice. Thank you all very much. Check the show notes for upcoming events, including the 99 Second Slam. And a reminder, every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern, we meet, we talk, we give feedback. It's called The Swap Shop. Message me for more information on that. We would love to have you join us. And that is all for episode number 74. Boom.